Well, good morning. Great to see all your faces. I, uh, so I keep getting asked this morning um, about the suit, which I don't know if that's good or bad, but I, you know, I, I had a pitch hit a wedding yesterday. There was a wedding here, and the patch that was supposed to do it got really sick, so I, I said I'd do it. It came, and when I looked in the mirror, I'm like, this suit makes you look 10 pounds lighter, so... <laughs> Just kept it on. I might just wear it every week. (laughs) If you've got a Bible, we are going to head today to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13. I heard someone once say that it is a sin to bore people with the Bible. So I want you to imagine, for just a moment, you are sitting in a meeting, a conference, at school or in church, and the person that's speaking is droning on and on and on. Of course not, this church is a different church that that happens at. And the person that's speaking has given you a lot of information and even given you a lot of really good information, good data. But eventually your eyes begin to glaze over The Sandman appears and tosses his elixir in your eyes. You feel your eyelids getting heavy. Or maybe you slowly and inconspicuously reach into your pocket to remove your cell phone to check your fantasy score or the posts of your 900 closest friends. Pure information can drain the mind. It's been proven over and over and over that the best way to communicate a message that people will remember and be inspired by is to tell a story. Data informs. Stories transform. When Jesus had something of depth to say, something of great value, and wanted it to take hold in the conscience of people, he always told a story. We now refer to those stories as as parables. But I think Jesus knew what we all know. We have a greater capacity to remember stories than we do pure information. Now, I, I like to tell stories. It's It's fun, and sometimes... I'm told, well, maybe, Mike, Mike, do you think you tell too many stories? I say, no way, I make no apologies, because people remember stories. I've had individuals approach me years later and say, I remember that point you made because of the story that you attached to it. Stories transform. See, it's the difference between having someone on the edge of their seat and someone bored to tears, and I think, I think Jesus had people on the edge of their seat. People would often say of Jesus' teaching, he speaks as one who has authority. We've never heard anything quite like this. So when Jesus talked about the most important thing in his repertoire, which was the kingdom of God, this this thing that he talked about over and over and over, when he wanted to talk about the value of the kingdom, he told parables and he told stories. So what do you do then when you, I mean, when you value something or when you want something, like when it consumes you? A little over two years ago, I got it in my head that our home needed another dog. Now, 
we have a dog. He's a lovely dog. His name is Tyler. He's a Bashan Shih Tzu. He's 12 pounds, and I love him. But he's getting old, and I kind of thought, maybe I need an in-between dog, just in case, which is morbid to think, but I did think that. My daughter went to college last year. Some people thought that had something to do with it. Maybe. But I got it in my head, and I needed to convince the other members of my home that we needed a dog. So I started wearing them down. Over and over and over, I just talk about how I need this dog. And I want a little dog. I want a, I want a big dog. My, my dream has always been a golden retriever. But because we have some pretty severe allergies in our house, that wasn't going to happen. They shed way too much. And so I went for the next best thing, which is a golden doodle. And someone said, why not get a poodle? And I said, because I don't want a poodle. I, and so I started researching. I mean, really, I mean, spending a lot of time. I had to build my arsenal of information. I researched F1 B, F2, B, all the different kinds of the way they're bred, how they're with people with allergies, their temperament, their sizes. I researched breeders. I read blogs. I I found different breeders. And I I even found one on the East Coast that would give you a dog, well, not give you a dog, but sell you a dog, fully trained, fully housebroken, responds to commands as a puppy, which sounded great. But then I went to the price list and... You can get a fully trained golden doodle I found for a mere $17,500, which is more than two of my cars put together. So I thought maybe we'll go a different route. And I found a breeder in Racine uh, and got a puppy who's not so small anymore. Arlo is now 60 pounds at 10 years old. And he is my joy. Now, if you own a dog, you know there's care involved. There's training, because I didn't go the $17,500 route. Um, There's the destruction that comes with a puppy. Multiple pairs of shoes and books and other things have fallen victim to Arlo's desire to chew. But in the end, this dog has so much value and importance to me that I was willing to give up a lot for it, still am and would do it all over again. Like, what are you willing to do when something is valuable to you? What value are we willing to place on our own spiritual life? Because quite frankly, if you were to show me both your calendar and your bank statement, I could get a pretty good idea of what it is that you value. See, Jesus, when he speaks about our spiritual life, often frames it within our identity as citizens of the kingdom of God and the value that that citizenship holds. As we turn to Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is going to tell three stories, three parables about the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus talks about things and his parables from ordinary life, because as these stories are told, they're just not nice things to help us remember information. Rather, Jesus takes difficult concepts and breaks them down 
to things we're very familiar with. Because Jesus isn't, he's not simply interested in transferring information. He wants to make a significant change in the lives of those who hear his words. He doesn't want his followers to reproduce his language. He wants his followers to reproduce his way of life. And so we begin at the end of Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is talking about the value of the kingdom of God. And he says this in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. Now, as we begin with this first simple parable, you think, well, that's interesting. I've I've never actually walked through a field and tripped over someone's treasure. It's just like this isn't Nicolas Cage and national treasure. This this isn't a treasure hunt. This doesn't make any sense. But you've got to understand the first century context. Because in, in Jesus' day, there were no banks, at least not how we understand banks. So if you had a lot of money and you wanted to keep it safe, you wouldn't keep it in your house because someone could break in and steal your stuff. No, your bank was a hole you dug in the ground somewhere on your property that only you knew about. So it was common for people in the first century to take their valuables, dig a hole and bury them in the ground and not really tell anybody, but that was the safe place for their stuff. So it would be within the realm of possibility for someone to be walking through a field that maybe had switched hands a few times, maybe the owner had died and never revealed the secret location of his stash, and just time went by and that treasure just sat there. No one really even knew who it belonged to anymore. So it would be within the normal possibility to be walking through a field and discover someone's treasure. Now we move to verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything that he had and he bought it. So now the story changes, the metaphor changes to a merchant, someone who owns a business, and maybe it's a jeweler and he's looking for jewelry or fine items and he discovers this this pearl. And this pearl is of such great value, he's willing to liquidate the current assets he has in order to buy this pearl because it could actually expand the prosperity of his business. So in both cases, whether it's the man walking through the field or the person, the business owner, finding a pearl, in both cases, the individual found something that was worth more than what they currently possessed. And so Jesus is making the statement that whatever it is that you have, wherever you find yourself in life right now, the kingdom of heaven and what it has to offer is better and it will grow. See, in the first story, the treasure that the man found greatly increases his wealth, so much so that he sold everything he had to to get it. And the pearl potentially would grow the value of the merchant's business. The kingdom of God is not stagnant, it's continually growing. So Jesus, at the beginning of Matthew chapter 13, changes the parable to more of an agricultural story. Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, Jesus is talking about the growth of the kingdom. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it. 
Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. For when trouble or persecution come because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, a yield of 160 or 30 times what was sown. So in this parable, in this story, we're introduced to three characters, some animate, some inanimate, the, the farmer, the seed, and the soil. Now in This story, Jesus relies heavily on an agrarian theme because most people in Jesus' day grew things. Many were farmers. It was how they sustained their family. And so the farmer in this story is anyone who spreads or plants seeds. The story could be Jesus himself as a farmer or it could be one of his disciples. But anyone communicating the message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom, is the farmer. And the seed is the message itself. Now, In this story, the farmer goes out and just seems to haphazardly be throwing seed around. Remember, we're not talking about farming as we think about it in the Western world. It's it's not a waste to just scatter the seed, at least in this context. See, what you've got to understand is there weren't necessarily large designated fields like we have today. Like I can drive less than a mile from my house and be surrounded by neat rows of corn in large fields which always made for a good conversation piece with my children because they always equated the growth of the corn with the first day of school. The taller the corn got, the closer it was to school. And so I would say to my kids, man, look at how, look at how tall that corn's getting. They'd say, Dad, stop! Like, don't think farming like that. That's not necessarily how the common person practiced farming. If you were a farmer in the first century, whatever plot of land you owned, your house would be on it, and you would just scatter seed wherever you think it might grow and provide for your family. See, when Jesus talks about the seed, I think the message is we're always spreading a seed. We're always spreading a message. Everywhere we go, no matter what we do, we're spreading something. Some of us, we are, well, all of us really are spreading, spreading a seed with the way we live our life and our very presence. I mean, when you walk into a room, the atmosphere changes for either good or bad. When you walk into a room, you bring you with you and people notice because there's a message attached to your presence. Other times we are spreading a message with our words. So I wonder what are the words that regularly come out of my mouth because the seed that I'm spreading We'll find soil somewhere. 
The soil in Jesus' story refers to the human heart or the inner life, the innermost being, that part of me that nobody sees. And in Jesus' story, there are different types of soil, different types of hearts. The first type Jesus talks about is, is the resistant heart. Verse 18, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. That phrase, and does not understand it, can also mean is resistant to it. Now, sometimes it's a passive resistance. Sure, there's receptivity to the message of the Bible. There's spiritual truth. It's a good life message. But when there's no action, no commitment, no cultivation, it's snatched away. There's, there's a drift. We, we, we find ourselves currently right now in the midst of a great religious drift. The, the cares of the world, the busyness of life, commitments, they just kind of all get in the way. And our faith keeps getting placed towards the bottom. Well, when's the sports season over, I'll, I'll be a bit more committed. Or when things die down at work, I'll be a bit more committed. Or there's just kind of this drift that starts to happen. Every once in a while, I run into someone that I know at the Piggly Wiggly or Target or something, and maybe I haven't seen them in a while, and they'll say, oh, hey, Pastor Mike, hey, you know, I, I know I haven't been in church in a while. I'm going to get there pretty soon. I'm like, whoa, I'm not taking attendance, man. I care about your spiritual life, but in the end, it's not between me and you. It's between you and him. Sometimes there's just this drift. Other times, it's a willful resistance in which the evil one, as Jesus refers to him, exploits the condition of the heart. And we say things like, well, I could never believe in a God that would allow that to happen. Or I could never believe in a God that would create an idea called hell. I'd never believe in a God like that. It's snatched away. Other times we put up emotional barriers. Maybe we've been hurt or offended in a church. Maybe even this church. And there's this emotional barrier that we've put up. And it's a resistance. And it's the seed is snatched away. Jesus then moves to a different type of soil, a different type of heart that I'll simply refer to as the thin heart. Verse 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The root is a reference to to depth. When something has deep roots, if you're a gardener, you know this, when something has deep roots, it's hard to move it. When I was a baby, my parents told me I was very demanding and very challenging. I don't believe it, but they say it's true. Apparently, I was colicky, and every time I ate, I would throw up for whatever reason. And uh, just very, very challenging. As I got older, I was a demanding kid, like most kids are, always wanting something from my parents. When I hit high school, well, if you ask my parents about high school, they simply refer to those years as the dark years. We'll leave it there. 
but I was constantly asking my parents for money or for a ride or for something as most children do. Most children ask their parents for stuff. But now that I'm older, closing in on 50, I don't really need anything per se from my parents. What I want is their presence. That's what I really want from my parents. Just their presence and their love and their wisdom and that is enough for me. When I came to faith in Christ, a lot of my prayers were laundry lists of things I wanted God to do for me. God, will you please do this? God, please answer this prayer. Do this, do this, do this. Right. And when my prayers were not answered the way I thought they should be answered, I got upset. Much like when my mom and dad would tell me no when I asked them for something, I'd get mad. A couple times, my mom and dad told me no, and I got so mad I ran away from home just to show them. It lasted about two hours, but I I did. Stuck it to them. (laughs) But then as I got older in my faith, hopefully a bit more mature, I've noticed that my prayers have been changing. They're not necessarily lists of things I want God to do for me. I just want to be in his presence. I just want to be in the presence of God. And that's enough for me. See, when I have roots that run deep, my trust in him is so refined The prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's almost enough for me. That's not to say I don't ever pray for things. But more often than not, it's just being in his presence. See, when my my roots aren't deep, when trouble comes, just kind of, all right, well, God, you didn't give me my way, so I'm out. It's a very thin heart. Jesus then talks about an apprehensive heart. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. We live in such an anxious society. We are anxious about everything. And people love to make money off us feeling anxious. They make sure we hear stories that increase our anxiety, the worries of life. All the commercials that we see on TV remind us of all the things that we do not have and we absolutely need. And the worries of life and the deceitfulness of things start to choke away that which is really important. And so then Jesus says, so so here's the last kind of soul, last kind of heart. It's the, the receptive heart. But the seed falling on the good soul refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. The one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. When Jesus talks about this kind of soil, there is this this openness, this responsiveness, this yielding to Christ as our spiritual life develops. So I wonder, what is it that our spiritual life means to us? What have we reduced it to? What is its value? What am I willing to do? What am I willing to sacrifice 
In my 20s and 30s, I had this incessant need to be successful. I had this incessant need for my peers to know just how successful I thought I was becoming, to have status, notoriety. I had big dreams, big plans, big ambition. And it was quite literally killing and choking out my soul. The seeds of God's word and the message of the kingdom was falling upon a very apprehensive heart. And just around 2007, I hit the wall of worry. There was a low-grade anger that was starting to form in the deep recesses of my heart, and I realized it was not sustainable anymore. And so I essentially made the decision to do what the merchant did and the man walked into the field. I just walked away from everything I was pursuing and went a different route because the kingdom of God was worth so much more than the empty things I was chasing. What is the kingdom of God worth? I mean, it's bigger than all of us. And at the same time, we're all invited. So maybe this, this weekend you're here or you're watching online and you've, you've kind of got this resistant heart. Maybe it's a passive resistance. Maybe you've drifted and everything else has taken the place of the nurturing of your own soul. Or maybe it's a, res- a, a very resistant heart where you just said, I could never believe in a God that would. You put in your own narrative. Or maybe it's a thin heart. Things are good until things get hard. Maybe it's an apprehensive heart. The worries of life and the need for things is choking you out. The invitation this morning is to put those aside and cultivate the soil of a receptive heart, of changing the story, of changing the narrative. I'm going to ask our our worship team to come. this morning, maybe in this story that Jesus tells you, that you're the sower. And you are spreading a message. It's a good message, and you're doing it with your whole heart. But you feel like it's not being received. And I just want to encourage you and remind you that it's our job to sow. It's God's job to change the heart. I can't change a human heart, and neither can you. And so continue in your faithfulness. For others of us, maybe in Jesus' story, we're the soil and our soils become hard and Jesus is inviting you into something better, much more life-giving. So in the few moments that we have left, I just want you to take a moment and right where you're sitting and just take a close look at your own heart. Is it resistant? Is it thin? Is it apprehensive? Or is it receptive? Lord, may we be receptive to to the good news of the message of the kingdom of God. That everyone's invited. And our response is an openness and a receptivity of your message. posture myself by humbling 
confessing of all my sins, knowing you are faithful and just to forgive all my shortcomings and failures for you are a good, good father. And so my prayer, oh God, is that you would build your kingdom in my heart, that you would build your kingdom through me. And we pray the words Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.